Hello everyone and welcome back to the greatest podcast that features three girls and their news stories. It's been two weeks since our Halloween special and honestly I miss it already. Uh, my Halloween decorations still haven't officially gone up in the loft, they're like by the by the stairs because um, I'm not ready to let it go. Um, but anyway, all good things must come to an end. But that's okay because thankfully we have another amazing episode lined up for you guys. And as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, Lubna and Emily. How are you guys? I am good. Uh, as you guys know, I was, you know, you know this, but I guess I can let the whole world know I've been fired from my one of my three jobs. I say fired like it's terrible, but actually it was like a really nice letting go. Yeah. And I'm, I'm quite <laughs> relieved um, in that sense. And uh, Amy was commenting earlier uh, about how put together I looked. And I was telling her that that's what happens when you lose one of your jobs. You have more time to focus on taking care of yourself. So I, same thing. I was also let go of a very similar job and it yeah. was like the wave of relief that went over me. And I also recently quit another job. Like I've always had too many jobs, but especially right now. And I went and like had coffee with my friend and he was like, I've never seen you this like rested, not to be mean, but like, you look like you've had sleep. And I was like, <laughs> I have had sleep. I don't have seven yeah. jobs anymore. Like I have two jobs and it's actually a realistic thing to juggle now. A hundred percent. But now I'm just like in the midst of applying for jobs because I hate the two yeah. jobs that I have right now. I don't, I don't hate them. It's just, it doesn't fulfill me. Right. Like it's not what I want to do. But I've set myself the manageable task of applying for one job every single day because I'm like, that's more manageable than having like 14 jobs where you need to like apply for every single one the day of. Yeah. And um, we'll see. But also it's kind of sucks because by the end of it, I'll apply for 30 jobs and maybe not have heard anything from it. So yeah. we'll see. That is you gotta even those odds though, right? You gotta cash in it as wide as possible. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm trying to do. The headlines. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks in the news cycle. Let's see what we have lined up today. Lumna, shall we start with you? Rural men and women in Nigeria are forced to resort back to wood and charcoal as fuel sources for their cook stands. In the last five years, prices for liquid petroleum gas has soared. Liquid petroleum gas, or LPG, is a fuel source that emits 50% less carbon than charcoal and 20% less carbon than heating oil, but many are now making the switch back because of lack of affordability. This comes as leaders from first world countries gather to discuss ways to avoid climate change while promising to do absolutely nothing about it at the COP26 meeting in Scotland. I also call it the COP26. I don't oh, know if I it's call supposed it to be COP26. Okay, good. Isn't it great that they all flew there in their private jets? A British woman has claimed that she was answering the uh, call of nature at a London cafe when she stumbled upon members of a satanic sex cult eating pork pies and scotch eggs. That is, quite frankly, appalling. Those foods aren't vegan at all. So my breakdown this week, um, I have two stories which are to commemorate uh, Armistice Day, which is the 11th of November. Um, so at the, we're recording this on the 10th, so this was last week um, for you guys listening. Uh, I know that according to our anchor statistics, we have a lot of American listeners. Um, so I don't think it's recognize the same way or maybe you have a guys have a different day but it's basically our memorial day 
um, in the UK, um, but also European countries celebrate it too. And I, does Canada celebrate the 11th of November as well? Yeah. So we honour um, those who fought and died in every war since the First World War. So getting some uplifting stories for you then. Uh, starting with Harry Billinge, who's one of Britain's last remaining D-Day veterans. He has returned home from France after what he calls his last mission. He raised nearly £50,000 for the construction of a memorial dedicated to over 22,000 British soldiers who died on D-Day. On returning home, he went straight back into money collecting for an education centre to be built at the memorial. Um, He's 96, by the way. Um, So from Cornwall, where Harry is from, to the Highlands, where a multi-faith memorial service was held in honour to the South Asian soldiers who also fought in both world wars. It was held at the King Kingasi Cemetery. Really sorry, that's probably not how you say it, um, but it's in Scotland. Uh, where nine soldiers from Force K six of the British Indo Pak Army are buried. Uh, campaigners who hold the event are also looking to raise money for a memorial for British Indo Pak soldiers in Glasgow as well. Uh, I, though I think while both stories are equally uplifting. Um, I am looking forward to hearing more stories like the second one. Uh, I think it's time we have more memorials that honour ex-British Empire troops. Um, so that's from the Caribbean, from Africa um, and parts of Asia as well, who were both vital, to, who were vital in both the First and Second World War, um, at least for the uh, British Army here. Okay, well, I guess for the Allied forces anyway. So there are my breakdowns. Those are great stories. And I wouldn't have thought of doing the Remembrance Day thing because honestly I don't fully understand it anymore that's fair enough is that just me maybe it's because we're from Canada I don't I, I don't think it's that I think like I personally have no connection to it yeah maybe like that's why. none of my family members ever fought in World War One or two um I know my grandma was alive during World War Two, which is kind of wild to like kind it of conceptualize weird to think that. about isn't it mm. Yeah, yeah, but I think in the UK it makes sense. And I like, uh, Emmy, your story about highlighting, like, soldiers that were not necessarily, like, British or white. Um, I think that that's often overlooked. And oh, totally. um, even, like, in Canada, I'm sure that there were former soldiers who weren't technically, yeah. like, uh, white Canadians who fought. And we don't know any of it. Because I just know growing up, all of our services were geared towards all we know a lot is, of like, the white Billy veterans. Bishop, and that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah. 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 No, I think I think it's really important. There's there's definitely been a big push last year for, since the um, the recent BLM movements. Um, there was a a documentary uh, with David Lammy, and he went to I can't remember what country it is. Sorry, do apologies, but he he went to a Commonwealth War Graves Commission, um, where basically it was so crazy. Like the white soldiers that fought. On this soil as well. Um, I can't remember what country it is in in Africa, um, but the white soldiers were who died in the battle in this African country were like in this really nice cemetery. Their graves looked lovely, and then on the other side of the fence, like in this awful, honest, honest to god, like shit heap, was where the black the black soldiers were buried. Um, it's a it's a really good documentary on the BBC about about that and the Commonwealth War War Graves Commission have obviously a lot to answer for 
for that as well. Um, oh, so I, I just think it's it's really crazy. Well, f- first of all, um, because like the <laughs> the British were fighting for because obviously the the African country was part of the British Empire. It's really bugging me that I can't remember what, what country it was. Um, the obviously British claimed it as theirs, but really it was actually the the black soldiers who were who were fighting in their own country. You know what I mean? It's crazy part of the empire. Um, but you know, like on the flip side of that, you know, Asian and African Caribbean soldiers, particularly in the First World War, they were they flew to well, not flew, I guess, because not on the plane, but um, they came over, you know, half a half a world away. They died in. Um, in countries, you know, like Bel- they died in Belgium and France, thousands and thousands of miles away from their from their families. They they do deserve to yeah. be commemorated um, as equally as much. And also, you know, their ancestors are a big part of British culture today as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's important to to uh, to have more more of this. Uh, more of this commemorations and more memorials as well and i'm um, just to, so just go back to the point that you were making that you guys don't really like take notice of um or haven't really been aware of of a uh, remembrance day i think it's so big over here because you know in the first world war like villages of men didn't come home yeah. there were so mm-hmm. many there's so many men that didn't every village has a has a yeah war memorial and there's always poppies around there as well which is the symbol of the armistice as well yeah I think even just like to add to that London has a lot of scars from Mm. uh both the world wars like Mm. you can see it like I'm just thinking even just walking around embankment and that like one massive um statue that was supposedly donated from by Egypt um already has like shrapnel and um kind of like wounds I guess not wounds, but obviously from, from being bombed. So I do think that it is, it's actually crazy to think now, because when I was younger, I always just thought November 11th was just kind of a Canadian sort of thing. Like when you're in Mm. elementary school, you don't really understand the scope of what like war is globally on a map. Um, so yeah. Well, that's what, cause Canada would have been part of the, the British British Commonwealth. The, would they, when did you guys get independent? Sorry, I should know that actually. Uh, 1867 is that right? Oh, yeah, okay. so you, is it... I think it's 67. Yeah, so you, so We're Canadians, I promise. Yeah, because it was 150 <laughs> in 27, oh, 2017, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, well, we were still like fighting for the British army because yeah. we're still not independent from England completely. Yeah, 1867. Yeah. 1867. Yeah, yeah. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> You're the real Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> That that sound like a game show then. I know, <laughs> seriously. Ding 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 the, ding. You won this Canadian. beaver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I don't want to do my stupid jokes. <laughs> but I'm gonna. An upstate New York man was in grave condition at a hospital after police used a taser to subdue him and he burst into flames. Guys, can you believe that a taser can cause a man to burst into flames? If y'all were wondering what to get me for Christmas, Black Friday is coming up. I'm just saying there's probably a sale on them. Who? What was that Nicolas Cage movie where he's like Ghost? on fire? Yeah. Like, are you sure that that was It was actually Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, it's in everything from your favorite breakfast spread to bread and even your luxurious cosmetics. I don't know why I said luxurious cosmetics like that, but... Uh... 
let's roll with it. Uh, but the devastating human and environmental effects of palm oil is the last thing on anyone's mind, including the Indonesian palm oil industry, as they work to counter anti-palm oil sentiments. So here's some backstory. Indonesia is the main producer of this $50 billion industry and companies in Indonesia and also not in Indonesia, let's be, let me contextualize that these companies are either Indonesian owned or they're multinationals, meaning they're owned um, from other foreign investors. They are now running a social media campaign and training farmers and teachers to be part of a pro-palm oil movement to combat a lot of the anti-palm oil movements, uh, sentiments that are happening amongst the younger, more self-aware, environmentally conscious uh, Indonesians. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about why the palm oil industry is problematic. Aside from the fact that there was a massive sexual assault scandal that rocked the industry last year, which I'm going to explain a little bit, Reuters and the Associated Press, I'm actually pretty sure it was the Associated Press ran this massive investigation that revealed that a lot of the palm oil plantations that major companies such as L'Oreal, Kiehl's, Kylie Cosmetics, and a few others purchased their palm oil for, um, these plantations were involved in sexual assaults of minors, uh, young women and young girls, as well as impregnating them, forcing them to get abortions or carry children to terms, uh, child labor, and also in, in addition to sexual assault, there was also a big issue of inadequate protective gear while harvesting palm oil. And that meant that a lot of them were exposed to chemicals that burnt their palms and their feet. And then they were inhaling all of these poisonous gases and poisonous chemicals as they, as they harvested palm oil, which again is a $50 billion industry, which is basically, I have a game both for you guys and everyone listening at home. Anytime you go and purchase a product, whether it's something that you ingest or something that you put on your face, Read the ingredients, and I guarantee you, majority of what you pick up, there is going to be palm oil in it, and that's because it's so cheap. But that cheapness comes at a cost, not only a human cost, but an environmental cost. Palm oil is responsible for at least 1.6 million hectares of lost rainforest land in 2019 alone in Indonesia. This region is home to orangutans, tigers, rhinos, other vulnerable species, and is so integral to the ecosystem. In addition, Greenpeace says that a third of Indonesia's forest fires are a result of palm oil harvesting areas. So keep in mind that this is still happening while we have leaders in Scotland, as Emily said, on their private jets discussing what to do about palm oil. So the Indonesian government is trying to highlight the positive aspect of the industry. And I'm going to be honest, there are positive elements of the industry. I mean, first of all, it employs more than 15 million people and it generates 13% of the country's exports. To completely stop palm oil means that 15 million people are going to be lost without a job. And granted, the working conditions of these palm oil plantations are problematic. You can't just completely decimate 15 million jobs. However, the biggest issue here is that there is zero advocacy, regulation, and even policies put in place to ensure that the industry is not only safe for the employees and for the environment, but it also doesn't destroy precious and vital rainforest areas at an exponential rate. And it's very simple. The reason why they don't want to do that is because a lot of the multinationals and owners of these plantations of palm oil, uh, of, of palm oil, sorry, in general, are just not wanting to 
subscribe to these policies because they profit off of it, right? Palm oil is so cheap and you make so much money that if regulations are put in place, you're going to risk your profit. So it is insidious and I hate it. And I've made a really big um, pact to myself that so far I've been really good about sustaining for the last two years of not buying products that have palm oil in it. Even if I really want like a new brand of like spread or a really yummy and tasty treat, if it has palm oil in it, I'm not going to buy it. But um, you know what? You can make change at home and it's really easy. You can purchase sustainable palm oil products because the fact of the matter remains that there is sustainable palm oil. You can produce palm oil. I'm not anti-palm oil. I'm anti-current practices in the way palm oil is produced at the moment. There are a lot of products. You can tend to find them in your whole food stores, your natural food stores, which exist um, that take into consideration the environment and the people. But if it's not in your budget, just stay away from the ingredient altogether. Honestly, palm oil is really refined. It's a filler ingredient. It doesn't provide a lot of benefits to you, especially if it's not harvested properly. Um, in the end, it's just better for you, better for people, and better for the environment. And lastly, I have linked an article I wrote last year, or actually earlier this year, that explains a little bit more about why sustainable palm oil matters. And it's in the show notes. So if you want to learn more, you can go ahead and take a look. Well, this is like a problem that I've been aware of probably since like early university years. This is like not a new thing, but it's obviously because people make so much money off of it. Nothing's, nothing's changed. And that is why the majority of like, like that explains the majority of our environmental issues is that if money is being made, nothing is going to change. That's why, you know, some of the biggest contributors to CO2 emissions didn't even show up at the COP26 because they're making money off of these things, so they're not going to change. And even the ones that did show up, I guarantee you, are not going to change because they're not going to make money if they change these things. And this is something that, like, we as a society need to actually start to look at do we want to make money for five years or do we want to live for more than five years? Those are our choices. That's it. I, 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 um, I definitely agree with everything that you're, you're saying as well, Emily. I kind of want to go back to the point that you um, made, um, I don't know, about the 15 million jobs because I think that this is the, this is the thing that always gets overlooked and when I say the thing, I'm, I don't mean thing, sorry. I mean the people who are on the ground working in fossil fuels industries. I'm talking about small town mining communities, you know, um, around the world, as well as, you know, the uh, people um, who are working in, in um, the palm oil production. I think it's important not to forget them. But also I think that it's important that we don't let companies use them as a reason to not to do things. Um, as well because I think I think it's it with everything it's about education isn't it you know if we can um, start to to teach people um, and put money towards green greener jobs yes like older people will say well you know I, I don't think I can transfer into a new industry that's fine that's fair enough that's their, their point but we should start thinking about you know people in these these areas they obviously have a set of skills and I'm sure that they could be transferred over into sort of renewable energy um, jobs. It, it is, again, it's about the money. It's, it's not just about the the companies. It's also about the government putting funding into um, 
sustainable um, industries. Yeah, I agree. I think like at the end of the day, unfortunately, the people on the ground, like you said, Amy, they're, they're the pawns, right? And like mm. anytime we try and say like, even to try and make things greener, doesn't mean remove the palm oil industry. It just means half those regulations. They're always going to say, well, it's going to be pricier. And as a result, we're going to have to cut jobs. Well, if you really look at how much these farmers get paid, I mean, it's nothing in the grand scheme of things, but they ha- they're forced, like their hands are forced and their hands are tied and they have to work. But yeah, I think, I think overall you're right. We have a, we have an important question to ask ourselves. Do we want to make money for five years or do we want to live for more than five years? And I don't think, I don't think people are really understanding the severity of it. Obviously a lot of the news stories are environmental. I feel like this is our environmental special um, today. So uh, forget Route 66, a new superhighway the size of Lake Michigan has been proposed by Ecuadorian president Guillermo Lasso. Where is the 15 million acre, I guess it's hectare highway you ask? Well, it's actually quite fishy. It's uh, literally, the highway is in the Pacific Ocean and will run from the Galapagos to Costa Rica. Um, it is help, it's to help protect sharks, whales, and other sea creatures. Um, okay, wait. So in my head, the idea of like building a road through the freaking ocean sounds like it's just terrible. Yeah, what so, do you mean by highway? It's, yeah, so basically what it is is they've stretched out, it's a conservation area and they stretched out the conservation area to form this super highway. Basically what they've done is that it's, it, they've extended the conservation area so that sharks and whales and other sea creatures have a safe passage to go from Galapagos to Costa Rica. Nobody can, can fish from them. That's oh, what it means. Okay. okay. So they're not they're not building a highway. I was That's like, are they I building thought. like a tube <laughs> for them to swim? I don't get it. No. <laughs> they call it the, they call it the superhighway, but um, yeah, it's basically just he's expanded the. Well, that's the extraordinarily area. misleading. A lot of people are going to drive straight into the ocean <laughs> thinking that there's a highway there. Please, please don't. I have linked the full article. It, I, it was hard because it's a headline, so I have to get as much. No, no, that's fair. Got to work on my news writing, obviously. <laughs> We broke it down. It was just another second yeah, yeah. breakdown. <laughs> Mini breakdown. It's fine. Okay. Well, um, away from the superhighway to another aspect of the green environment and green economy. It's a little bit different, though. So the latest acquisition of an electric vehicle company, Centro, by a lingerie brand, just brings a whole new term to driving a car with the top down. That was my... That was my little joke, you guys. Um, But what kind of universe, let's be real, what kind of universe are we living in where Naked Brand Group, an e-commerce company specializing in lingerie and swimwear, is now buying an electric car company, uh, more specifically a company that specializes in batteries for vans, electric batteries for vans? Does that mean with each bra I buy, I get a little discount on the vehicle? Or do you think we're going to have some sort of stamp card or like loyalty program, like car lingerie loyalty program? Because if that's the case, sign me up. They're going to start making lingerie specifically for driving. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And do you think I can like, it's like a renewable source. I can just plug my lingerie in. That's exactly Battery charge it up. Wait, why, why do you need your lingerie to be charged up? I mean, I will let you use your imagination <laughs> to figure You're out welcome. what sort of lingerie requires charging. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of lingerie, 
it may be a present that you get for Christmas this year. Yeah, I'm trying to segue it to my story. The um, queen of segues, <laughs> Emmy Gill. I'm back. Um, yeah, this is actually a completely out of out there story. Um, it is around the corner, guys. Um, so if you want to recreate the classic family Christmas movie, Home Alone, well, Lego have revealed a new 3,955 piece set where you can actually build the McAllister house. The house is split into 24 sections, like an advent calendar, and it's got so many little details so you can get the all the characters in the film, the major characters, so Kevin, his mum, uh, the wet bandits, and the old man. And of course, it uh, you can build the infamous Scream sink as well. That'd be so overrated. Okay. Um, um okay, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm overrated. sorry, it's so overrated. <laughs> I, mean, I watched it for the first time last year and I was like, this movie is objectively terrible. And with that, we were cancelled. <laughs> Shut down. <laughs> um, an unvaccinated man who intentionally caught COVID, yes, was hospitalized, now says he regrets his actions. He said that he tested positive for COVID-19 and was left weak and bedridden. And he became very ill, and it's understood that he infected several family members. So, um, this might take a turn. This might be a little conspiracy. Whatever. Just go with it. The story shows how dangerous it is to try and follow those, like, let's oppose the government crowds. I think they don't realize that in what they're doing, they're still behaving like sheep. Like, they think they're such independent thinkers, but really what's happening is that they're following information posted on like 4chan and QAnon and like said by Joe Rogan and Alex Jones who like spread this false information that's backed by nothing and they like let them tell them what to think you know the these people that like do their own research just comb through thousands of opinion pieces until they find something that backs up the opinions of these like libertarian and conservative nuts and they base their entire personalities on these non-facts and it's infuriating and then they go and do dumb shit like this and end up in the hospital and what's worse because yes this is worse they get other people sick if you want to get yourself sick and end up in the hospital i don't care but don't give it to other people that didn't have the choice because you're an idiot I know someone, I'm not going to name them, and I'm going to try and be really gender neutral here so I don't, you know, um, someone that caught COVID didn't want to test because they didn't want to quarantine, and they gave it to their grandparent, and that grandparent died. Yeah. I know it sounds like it's made up, but that's what actually happened. And it's just, like, everyone thinks that they're so individualistic by not listening to the government and not doing what the government tells them to do and like not listening to these widely respected scientists and doctors and there's a reason that we have these professionals to advise us there's a reason that we elect government officials to to give us advice and to help us guide us in the right direction it's not to control us and it's not to push some agenda it's for the greater good and i'm not saying that you should blindly follow the government in every decision that they make but when there's a global pandemic you should follow the government because that is who is 
qualified to bring you through that. Alex Jones is not. Joe Rogan is not. You can't just, you know, just listen to some crazy ranting, well, like me right now. You can't do that because you need to follow educated advice. Stop looking for the one thing that counteracts all of that and just follow the thousands and thousands of pieces of information in front of you that are backed and researched and complete. And I'm sorry. I just think thinking that you're being different by doing these things is not smart. It's just absurd. It's dangerous. And it's downright selfish. Rant done. Do you know what I think about these people is that they're, they're the people that wish that they were really special and they were gifted. Yeah. And so they just go against. I mean, I, I have to say that there's time, not when it comes to science, but there's sometimes when um, I hear something that the government is doing and I'm just like, oh, I hate it anyway. So I'll look for opinion pieces that match my opinion. But um, as a journalist and as a person who prefers to be in the middle, I always, you know, look at the facts and do the research. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes they're going to do things that you don't agree with, but if they're backed by facts and, like, you you yeah. need to respect it even if you don't agree with it. And, exactly. Jesus, they're not trying to fuck with us. Like, they're trying to help most of the time. Well, I mean, when it comes to a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, sure. when it comes to a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Maybe with minimum wage, yeah. not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I got one for my Canadian friends. Um you may have seen these adverts. I don't know if they've been going in Canada, but there is an advert for it, a commercial. Uh, Justin Bieber has announced he will be collaborating with Tim Hortons to create three new donuts. Chocolate white fudge, sour cream, chocolate chocolate chip, and birthday cake waffle. I just realized that was the first time I read that. Sour cream, chocolate chip. Wow. Okay, so there's um, a sour cream were... donut and it's amazing. Oh, gotcha. In, in theory, thinking... when you say it out loud, it sounds disgusting. And at yeah, first yeah, I was just delicious. bored, but then I realized, yeah, it is actually delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know the sour cream can, you use it sometimes in, in sweet stuff. But anyway, um, they will be known, known as Tim Beebs Timbits. No. Uh, which, <laughs> say that really fast, sounds something really bad. Um, no. And will be available from the 29th of November <laughs> across Canadian and American stores. And um, uh, Lovna, you need to buy them and tell us. I, tell I was us just going to say that. I'm like, okay, so on November 29th is when it's available. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'll do a tasting. I'll do a live tasting oh for our my podcast. God. <laughs> oh, I hate that. And I can tell you. Um, I just want to say though, like I haven't seen any of the adverts on it, but like, here's a fun fact for you guys. Canadians don't watch television. We can't even fucking afford it. <laughs> so we don't, we don't even get any commercials. I feel like around the world, everybody watches advertisements. And the only thing we get are like those recommended ads on YouTube that we just obsessively try and click skip ad. But um, don't worry, uh, our audience, I have you covered. I will, I will do a taste test. All right, back to the environment by Justin Bieber. In rural Oregon, a small town in America, they are suffering the devastating consequences of a climate change issue, which is massive droughts that are plaguing all of the Western states, including Oregon. And unfortunately, it's driving a wedge between two communities. The government in Oregon has shut off water to farmers to protect endangered fish that is sacred to the Native American tribes that live in this area. 
the indigenous community is concerned about the excessive extractions and consumption that agriculture has on the ecosystem without concern for its repercussions. And now that climate change is a massive issue and the states are suffering a drought, it is basically driving a big wedge and dividing this community. But at the heart of the matter, what is really up for discussion is the idea of water and water distribution and its roots in colonialism. When there isn't enough water for everyone, who comes first and who matters? If you wanna learn more about this issue, you can watch this documentary about the story, which I've linked in the show notes, but I think it's really interesting that even climate change has its roots in colonialism. Oh God, and here's another dumb joke to end it off. <laughs> Colombia's hippos, an oversized legacy of deceased drug lord Pablo Escobar, are being darted with adapted contraceptives normally used for controlling deer populations to stop overbreeding. Incidentally, contraceptive darts is my favorite game to play at a frat house. I'm so sorry. Everyone's like giving me serious stories and I'm like, we should sterilize frat boys. It was an environmental story, so... It it technically was. Yeah. Off the record... I am excited for this week's Off the Record. Emily, you have a lot to say about pretty hot topic, cancel uh, cancel culture and wokeness. So this was, I mean, I had a oh, like week of rants, obviously, kind of inspired by my breakdown. Former Bush campaign advisor Matthew Dowd, who is running as Democrat um, in Texas, in Texas is? Oh God, that's hard to, I've never done that before. Who is running as a Democrat in Texas Lieutenant Governor race. All of that was hard to say. Said that Jesus Christ today would be declared woke by conservatives, calling wokeness just another term for human decency. He tweeted this. It is human decency to treat all with respect and dignity. And that is constitutional to say all men and women are equal. A little bit of woke history for you. The word woke was added to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary in 2017, defined as aware and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. And the Oxford Dictionary the same year defined it as originally well-informed, up-to-date, and now it's chiefly alert to racial or social discrimination and injustice. But um, those opposing these liberal views, we all know who I'm talking about, um, say that woke is a dirty word and something to make fun of. They connect it to cancel culture, censorship, and critical race theory, which honestly I don't think we have time to get into. But the point is, wokeness is now what the word feminism was in the 60s and 70s. Right? People laugh it off and they scoff and call it stupid, it's unnecessary, it's over the top, say that anyone who adopts these principles is ridiculous. And what they're actually saying by saying all of that is that some people don't belong in this world and don't deserve respect. That's what they're saying. I agree that cancel culture and censorship can go too far. And I believe that, you know, people do make mistakes. I think it's relative, like it's relative though. There are some mistakes that are not mistakes and they're intentional 
like aggressions towards people. Um, but I, why try to offend people for the sake of offending them, you know, and bothering them and reminding them that this world has been shaped to make some people feel superior to others. I actually just want to say, Emily, adding to your point, like I have never understood offending people for the sake of offending. I'm kind of like, it makes sense. You know, even if you're going to start being racist, like, let's, like, let's, like, become creative. Let's not recycle the same shit. Like, let's recycle for the environment, but let's not recycle the same offensive shit. But I have a feeling, like, when people kind of abhor or shirk away from, like, the titles of, like, wokeness, being labeled woke or feminist, really, it's just projecting. Because inside, there's a part of them that doesn't agree with those terms, like, but they don't want to admit it. So they're just going to try and turn it around and be like, being labeled woke is a joke. Being feminist is a joke. Like, let's bring down those concepts instead of really reflecting on the fact that why do I have such a problem with wanting to be uh, aware and actively attentive to important facts of like life and systemic racism and all of that. So yeah, I just think, listen, anybody out there, I don't think we have any racists listening to our podcast, but oh, we have racist friends and stuff. <laughs> just, you know what? Don't recycle racist hey, you shit know what? and we offensive don't know. stuff. True. We don't and know we're who not our listeners ourselves. are. We don't judge you. <laughs> We do, but, yeah. you know. I always think it's funny, like, you know how you're saying that feminism was a dirty word in the 60s and 70s? I think it's probably it's still, still kind is, of, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, obviously, we're talking about the environment as well. Like, you know, 60s and 70s scientists were saying, oh, you know, we've got to be aware of the environment. The climate's changing. And yeah. I was like, laughing okay, it off. But now, now look where we are. And I think it's the same with feminism and wokeness. It's like... And do you think about, like, here in the UK, the Conservatives, who were very anti-environment, um, like, climate, uh, doing anything for the environment, even just, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s. And, and now look at them, like, Boris Johnson, obviously, you know, has changed and um, changed that too. It's like, sometimes I just think, oh, just, just get there, people. Do you not understand? It's just, it's about <laughs> equality and... A, a better world for everyone. It's not about putting women higher. It's not about putting one race higher. It's not about putting something else higher. It's about the fact that there are mar- marginalized groups are called marginalized groups because they're at the very bottom of society. So it's about bringing them up so that everybody is equitable. So I read an article in the New York Times titled The Quiet Scientific Revolution That May Solve Chronic Pain. So a little backstory, chronic pain affects a third of the pe- of, of people globally and is one of the most expensive medical problems and mysteries plaguing doctors and patients around the world. However, new research reveals how a set of nervous system cells, which were previously overlooked and thought of as useless, called glia, may have a role in chronic pain. Glia doesn't just support and respond to neuronal activity like pain signals, but it often directs it with enormous consequences for chronic pain. And while initially chronic pain was considered a symptom and is a symptom, new research is showing that it's now considered its own disease. Researchers are still figuring out how to manage the glia because apparently it's not as simple as medicating it or even trying to like numb it or remove it altogether because glia work in a complex system that current pain, current painkillers aren't developed to navigate. So first and foremost, take a drinking game. Every time we say chronic pain, just take a shot because I feel like I've said it a million times, but um, 
Chronic pain is anything that lasts from three to six months and beyond and has become independent from your initial injury or illness that caused it. And to quote from the article, uh, the idea of figuring out where chronic pain comes from is helping to legitimize chronic pain so that doctors take it more seriously. And that's my issue is that, you know, the idea of having to have research back the chronic pain to legitimize it and then therefore make doctors take it seriously is kind of triggering because, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, especially when it comes to women's pain and unprofessional doctors. I think that oftentimes we, we should put our trust in science, but we shouldn't put our blind trust in science. So let me, let me kind of clarify what I mean by that. Chronic pain is real and lots of, in particular, women deal with it. And oftentimes it's dismissed and it's been dismissed and it's been dismissed or even worse, it's been misdiagnosed. So you're never getting a real answer. And then you think you're crazy, even though deep down, you know, your body and it's true, but because the doctor can't explain it, it's therefore not true. And now that new research is coming up to determine where chronic pain comes from, it's helping to legitimize chronic pain. And it's a win for those who suffer from it. But I also kind of want to highlight that just because a doctor can't put a label on it and it's not written in a textbook doesn't mean it's real when it comes, especially when it comes to the case of medical issues and issues that women face. But I also just want to focus on this bigger idea here. The world in which we operate like let's contextualize chronic pain, right? Because obviously, yes, there is the glia and it unfortunately directs pain and, and whether you've had a previous injury or illness also contributes to that. But let's just think about the world we operate in and the systems and the norms and the working schedules and the expectations and this culture we've created, which is now extended into other parts of the non-Western world. What we've created is not conducive to human life. Just think about it. The way we live, we are not living. We are just actively forcing ourselves to wake up every day just to try and make it to the end of the day and start it all over again. It's, it's mechanized. I mean, I really do feel like a worker on the belt line, um, you know, trying to get through the day. And while things like working out can bring pain relief and meditation, journaling, centering yourself, therapy, blah, 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 all of those things are helpful. I think at the end of the day, it's all kind of like symptom management because while we continue to live in this world, that really is not conducive to actually living. Um, it, we're always going to feel kind of like pain, whether that be chronic pain or some other sort of chronic illness. And all of these issues are going to still be problematic. So I don't know, I guess this is a bit of a sad breakdown um, or off the record, sorry. It's just that like, I feel like even after global pandemic, the world truly hasn't learned. Like, I don't think that there's any systems in place that are really, or checks and balances that are really trying to shift the way we live. And so while I think this is a win, chronic pain is now legitimized. I still think like at the end of the day, we're still just managing symptoms. And so I'm going to try and end up more on a positive note and just kind of be like, while it is symptom management, I think for now, it's better to focus on symptom management and try and transition these things like working out and therapy and all of that to become just like actual deliberate lifestyle choices. And hopefully, you know, we can normalize that as a society. And I'm, I'm really thinking like as millennials and even our little counterparts, Gen Zs, I think we're wholly, slowly going to create a life, I hope, where we are actually living and not just trying to live.
Um, I just want to go back to a point that you said, um, uh, Lubna, about not blindly trusting science. Um, what I would say to that is that um, science is constantly changing and evolving, and there's so much that even we don't know about our own bodies. And I think as well when it comes to medicine is that every everybody is different as well. And so what works for everybody won't work for you. And I think more important than not, the mind, like you said, is to do with the nervous system, which is all linked to mentality, um, which obviously is links into what you're saying about the culture and everything like that as well. Um, but we don't know a lot about the human mind. I don't think we know enough about how... Uh, mental illnesses really affect us physically and um, the link between mental illness and um, you know things like chronic pain um, I mean this isn't chronic pain but just going back like it was only it was only sort of earlier this year maybe the end of last year that they started talking about um, how a dementia in ex-footballers was a, a lot higher than um, than people who didn't play the, the sport because they were heading so much uh, you know uh, that's only just come in just now so I think I think it's important to understand that science is constantly evolving and I think any scientist will tell you themselves is that there's still so much that they go in that they don't know about yeah so things I agree that's uh, I definitely like I think that's what I meant when mm. I say don't blindly trust I wanted to say like when someone says your chronic pain is invalid, don't take that at face value because yeah, like you said, uh, it's always changing. I, yeah, I wanted to add that caveat by not blindly trusting it. Cause I didn't want someone to think like, Oh my God, like fuel yeah. all the anti-vaxxing. We've been anti-vax so long. <laughs> yeah. Cause we were talking about it so much that I was like, shit, I have to, Oh my God. Imagine I, revise that. I take off my mask and it's Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And uh, that's why I also felt like I had to had to say because I, I knew what you meant. I knew that yeah. that was what you were trying to say as well. So I just yeah, just think you were. Thanks. Cool. So obviously, uh, this week uh, we've been talking a lot about environment with the COP twenty six um, challenge. Maybe we should have made this a special. I know we've just had Halloween, but maybe this should have been our environmental special. Um, but hey, then you wouldn't have known about Justin Bieber's Tim Horton donuts. Uh, so, uh, my off the record this week is kind of another breakdown, I guess, um, because I'm not really going to talk about my opinions about it. I'm just going to share the story with you. Um, so I've decided to end on a high note, especially because we're like all doom and gloom about the environment and tell you guys about the Cambridge Mosque. Um, it's Europe's first green mosque. Um, as I was writing and researching my stories, I had BBC Look East, which is my local BBC News, uh, was on the background and they were going live from the Cambridge Mosque and it looks so beautiful. I would definitely recommend anybody Googling it. Um, so some of the features um, about it, so the timber uh, that uh, you can see in the archways, it's all sus from sustainable sources and sustainable woods. Um, it doesn't have many lights, it has a few LED lights, but because the entrance um, hall and the roof as well have so many um, massive windows, even though it's in the UK, there's still a lot of light that floods in. Um, they were saying that they don't actually often have to turn on the lights because there's so much light getting in. Um, and if they're saying that now in the middle of our, as we're going into winter when the, the, the days are gray, that's a pretty good thing. Um, but the thing that I thought was really interesting um, is the water um, 
that they use to, I guess, in the bathrooms, but also um, to wash um, to wash themselves before when Muslims wash themselves before prayer. Um, it's harvested rainwater, which obviously the UK has so much of as well. Um, there's so many different features about it. It's, it's really massive and it, it, it is a beautiful building. Uh, as always with all of our news stories, it is linked in the show notes. I would definitely recommend um, having a look at that. But it's it's amazing and I think it's be great to see more religious buildings like that. And I think it just kind of shows how something so old can can be a beacon of hope for something so a problem that is so modern as well um that's what i really liked about it because um it is a place of worship and a and religion is so old as well so it's it's positive what a great high note to end on i mean just adding to your point about like something so old can still be a beacon of hope for environmental stewardship i mean like and i'll just speak on it from islam uh from islamic perspective uh, it's, it's in the religion, right? Like we are taught to, to respect the environment that we're stewards of the environment. I mean, even just basic sunnah, which is traditions and, and actions of the prophet have all been about being conscious, like in times of drought, right? You know, we don't seek to use water to cleanse ourselves before prayers. We can actually use the dirt from the earth to clean ourselves. Like, so I think like there is a growing movement, especially amongst the younger Muslims about, going back to the scripture and, and recognizing that there are a lot of like green, green advice and life hacks that we need to go back and follow. And it's not all about just making sure that you abstain from like whatever is considered bad and praying and all that. Cause at the end of the day, like you can, you can do what's good on paper. You can, you can pray, you can give charity, you can fast, but if you're messing up the environment, right? Like you have to act, you have to answer for that mm. on the day of judgment. And it's really funny. Um, as like a quick side note, I always tell my parents, I'm really picky about them composting. My dad's super excellent about it. But um, every time anyone's cracking eggs, immediately they want to throw it in the trash because it's easier to just toss it in the trash. I like pop my head out. I'm like, you better put that in the compost bin. I'm like, I'm just trying to protect you because on the day of judgment, God's going to ask you, what did you do for the environment? And throwing away that eggshell could have just saved you from going to hell. So yeah, (laughs) I do. I preach the environment in hell at the same time. So remember, guys, if you took anything from this episode, put your eggshells in the compost or you're going to hell. Um, Anyway, guys, I think that's a wrap. We covered a lot today, Uh, um, mainly green stuff. But I mean, we went from discussing the destruction of rainforests all the way to cancel culture and censorship, uh, which is pretty, pretty diverse and amazing. As always, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next time with some more stories. Remember to check out our Instagram page at three, as in the, le- the number, girls one, as in the number, newscast. So that's at three girls one newscast on Instagram. You can interact with us there, share your thoughts on the latest episode, and give us your own off the record stories. Um, Any that you like. We always love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.